0: Well,
1: today we are going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And for those of you who haven't been here before, we are uh, uh, expository in our approach to the Word of God. So we take it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. And I think that it's very important to do that because most of us Christians have our sugar stick verses... And we're not even sure what they mean. We have all kinds of stories, but we're not sure about the context. And God didn't intend for us to just know him through his word. He intended that the word would be a glossary for us to be able to interpret life with. It is something that reveals Him. In the things that we're experiencing. Because he wants to share life with you. He doesn't want to share knowledge. You know. When I looked for a wife. I wasn't looking for something in a catalog. I was looking for a warm. Affectionate young lady. Beautiful young lady. And I found her. And she was exactly what God had for me. But it wouldn't be any good for me. To go home at night. And stare at a book. And call that relationship or marriage. I have the one that I'm married to with me. That's what God intended for us. And his word is to be something more than just words to us. So let's look at chapter 7 verses 1 through 4. Last week we just finished chapter 6. And Paul had really been addressing his ministry He's been kind of defining and defending his ministry to the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians had become very carnal, which means they were living according to the flesh. Their worship had become religious. Their perspective had become more intellectual. And they were walking according to the flesh. And then in the midst of that, they had... False teachers come in their midst that were distorting and twisting the gospel. And they had to, in the process, knock Paul off his pedestal, so to speak. They had to demean Paul. They had to be critical of Paul so that Paul would no longer be their point of authority. These false teachers would. So there's a big mess in Corinth. Big mess. And Paul wrote a series of letters. And in the middle of his writing to them and in, in his correction, he begins to talk about the focus of the ministry and defends the ministry because the false teachers are saying, oh, this ministry is just about Paul. This ministry is, is just his, his invention that God's not really in it. He's not really an apostle. You don't want to be following the teaching of Paul. So Paul takes actually quite a bit of... Inc. And he starts defending the ministry all the way from chapter 2 of Second Corinthians to where we are now. And he's, he is coming to the focal point of his defense, where he is calling them to come out of their duality. They were living pagan lives, though they were Christians. They were in a pagan city. Surrounded by pagan temples, they've been raised in pagan religious rites. As I have explained many times, everything reflected idol worship. Their calendar, their holidays, everything was surrounded by that. The marketplace... And the Corinthians begin, rather than standing in the truth of who they were in Christ, rather than standing in their significance as children of God, they begin to drift into a quasi-Christian relationship where they begin to to act like their pagan surroundings. They went to pagan festivals, they went to the pagan rituals, and all the while proclaiming the name of Christ. And their worship had become more and more accepting of pagan ideology. Well, this was very hard for Paul, because Paul founded that church. He loved those people. He had brought them up from nothing, so to speak. God had used him. So he calls them out, and if you'll look at verse 14 of chapter 6, sorry to pull you backwards, chapter 6, verse 14, Paul writes to him, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not make mismated alliances with them, or come under a different yoke with them inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership have right living and right standing with God with iniquity and lawlessness? How can light have fellowship with darkness? Now, We talked about this last week. Paul is not saying you need to get in a rocket ship and leave the earth. You need to make sure that you don't touch an unbeliever or come anywhere near them. That would be impossible. And Paul makes the statement that you would have to leave uh, the world in order to avoid all unbelievers. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not even addressing unbelievers. He's addressing Christians. And he is telling them, you cannot join unbelievers in ungodliness. You cannot join unbelievers in idol worship. Don't visit their cults. Don't listen to their teachers or preachers. Don't join them in ungodly revelry. Don't enable their sin. Don't identify with them. Don't enter into marriage with them. Don't live carnal lives. Don't live the way they live. Do not conform yourself to this world, but live to Christ. And they were living a compromised life. So we see, he comes to verse, in verses 17 and 18, we see God through Paul telling them to come out, that's what he says, come out, come out from unbelievers, that means leave this place of compromise, and quit living like you're one of them, identifying with the flesh, and come out, and we see the heart of the Father in this, okay, we see the heart of the Father in the writing of Paul, And, and you know, scripture is inspired. So what we're reading is the Father's heart anyway. We're not reading what Paul thinks. And so what he's saying is, the Father is calling out to them and says, hey, get back over here where you belong. That's the picture. Get back over here where you belong. Don't stay over there. Verse 17 and 18 says, so come out from among unbelievers and separate sever." yourselves from them, says the Lord. And touch not any unclean thing, then I will receive you kindly and treat you with favor. I want you to keep in mind that these are quotations from the Old Testament. This is God calling out to the children of Israel. And Paul applies it here. And I will be, continuing verse 18, he says, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now again, This is not about living among them. This is about living like them. Does that make sense? Being assimilated back into a godless society and walking according to the flesh. Father's telling them in these verses to repent, to turn from their carnality and return to the truth. And live like the people of God. That's what he's saying to them. Now we begin chapter 7 which is a continuation of the subject. Chapter 7, verse 1, he writes, Therefore, since these great promises are ours, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates and defiles body and spirit, and bring our consecration to completeness in the reverential fear of the Lord. Now, I know for a lot of people, that verse is very confusing, okay? So we're going to take a more of an instructive view of it tonight and kind of take it apart and look at what Paul is actually saying there. Therefore, is an indication of the continuation of the subject. And since he says, since these Great promises are ours. Now, listen, what he quoted in verses 17 and 18 were verses from the Old Testament, and they were not belonging at that point to the children of Israel. They were promises. That's what they were. They were promises, but he says. Now those promises Paul is writing it says now those promises are ours. Who's the ours he's referring to? He's referring to Christians. He's referring to this to the Corinthians who were Christians. He says now they're ours. So in other words, now we are in the fellowship of the Father. Now we belong to him as his children. Those promises belong to us. And the Father promises To receive us with kindness and treat us with favor. Now, that is in the context of repentance. Here's the thing. The enemy would love to convince you that our Father's heart towards you is one of extreme judgment. And if you ever mess up, you come to him in repentance, and he'll look at you and say, Okay, well, I'm going to forgive you because of what Jesus did. But... uh, don't, don't let that happen again, and there will be consequences. Now, that's most of us, our view of, of God. But you know the prodigal son is a picture of your God to the father. Do you see that picture in the prodigal son at all, the father of the prodigal son? Do you see him doing that? Do you see him standing there with his arms folded, tapping his foot, waiting for the kid to show up? He would have let the kid go through the whole explanation of why he ran away and how he came just to be a servant and begging the father's forgiveness. And he would have said, yeah, well, you should. That's not who he is at all. He was looking for him. He ran to him. He didn't even let him get his speech out. And you know what? When you turn in repentance towards him, and repentance simply means, the Hebrew view of it is simply to turn. That's all it means. And when you turn in your repentance from what you've been holding on to and staring at. And, you know, to stare at is to worship. To focus on it is to worship. When you turn your focus from that thing to him, you're there. God's not wagging his finger. He's saying, oh, it's great to have you here. Like I told most of you here tonight. It's great to have you here. It's good to see you. Only Father is much more loving, much more kind. So he's telling them, come, the promises are yours. As Christians, the promises were theirs. They are the Father's children. He has received them. He's not promising them anything new for repentance. Don't read that. God is not saying, if you'll repent, I'm going to give you turbocharged Christianity. No. He's not promising anything new. What he's basically saying is, you have Christ. You have Christ's life at the center of you. You have all the blessings of the Father in Christ. What you have is so much better than what you're getting out there. Open your eyes to it. It's so much greater. So, the Father promises... They're all yea and amen in you. Verse 1 of chapter 7 also tells us, it says, to cleanse ourselves of all that contaminates. Cleanse ourselves. Now, I want you to look at this. Both verses 17 of chapter 6 that we just read and verse 1 of chapter 7 that we just read are calling for a change, right? Both of them are calling for a change. Verse 17 of chapter 6 says to come out from unbelief and separate yourselves in the way you live. And then verse 1 of chapter 7 says, tells us to cleanse ourselves of all contaminants. Both require us to do something, don't they? Both require a change. Both require an act of the will. Both are acts of obedience in both cases. As Christians, the promises were theirs. They are the Father's children. He had received them, and they have received him. And he is telling them, you don't have to live in duality. You don't have to live in the guilt and fear of the flesh. You are invited to embrace by faith the favor of the Father and live in true repentance. But they must repent. They must change the direction of their living. They don't live at that address anymore. Paul writes, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates and defiles a body. Are you like me looking at that and saying, what does that mean? If I could have cleansed myself, I would have done it a long time ago, right? Isn't that what you think? Well, there's a difference between changing yourself and bathing yourself, okay? And I'm not talking like a mom and dad change a baby. I'm talking about changing who you are. There's a difference between changing who you are and bathing yourself. Who you are, you are by birth. Now, you cannot change that, even with surgery, though some have tried. You cannot change that. Paul is not referencing a repentance unto eternal salvation, but a cleansing from behaviors that have yoked us with the world. In reference to number 14 of chapter 6. This is an external cleansing that he refers to by way of the body. We must deliberately separate ourselves from certain behaviors that feed our identification with the flesh. Now let me ask you a question. Will avoiding those things make us righteous? They won't. Well then that cleansing is not very good then if it won't make us righteous, will it? No, it won't make us righteous. But avoiding them will allow us to behave in a righteous way that will affirm the truth in you that God has already made you righteous. You see the reverse in that? The enemy's greatest lie is to keep the Christian working for what he already has. And it says very clearly in the scriptures, in the word of God, that he has made you righteous. You do not make yourself righteous. So why is he asking us to cleanse ourselves? What he's saying is behave in a way that affirms the truth in you. Galatians 5.16 says, "...but I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh." You know, if we would walk in the truth of who we are, and walk means live, okay? It's a moment-by-moment thing. It just means living out your life. What he's saying is if I'm living my life in the context of who I am in Christ, if I'm seeing my circumstances and my situations according to my relationship with Christ, I will not be so tempted to be self-protecting. I will not be tempted to be bitter. I will not be tempted to be greedy. I will not be tempted to create for myself life apart from Christ. I won't live according to the flesh. I'll live according to the spirit that God has given me and the identity that he's given me. Paul understands something that you can cleanse the body, you can change your behavior, but behavior is not the root of the problem. Y'all know that, right? Behavior is never the root of the problem, it's the fruit of the problem. So that's why he uses those two words, body and little s spirit. Okay? So, as we have said, Paul is writing to Christians. So why does he tell them to cleanse their spirit? Well, I wondered too because if he was telling them that, it would be contrary to everything he said up to that point. But the Greek word that he uses there is puma. It can be translated as spirit, as in the Holy Spirit. It can also be translated as spirit, and little s, as in the human spirit. But it can also be translated as soul. Now this is just a picture of, a graph, if you will, of your spiritual anatomy, and most of you have seen it, right? We have a body. Every one of us is wearing one. If you weren't, you'd be kind of disgusting. You're wearing a body. You have a soul, a mind, emotion, and will. And if you're lost, you have no spirit life at the center. The spirit of you, the humanity, the human spirit of you is dark. It's a big vacuum. So... When you were lost, how did you know who you were? How did you begin to navigate in this world, understanding who you are and what's the truth about you? How did you find out whether you were handsome or whether you were ugly? How did you find out if you were disciplined or you were lost? You know, what do you, How did you find all that out? Well, everything you knew about yourself, you learned from the world. How to behave, how to act, how to look, your identity... Everything came from the world. It came from without. And your mind, will, and emotion, the soul, it's neutral. But it is a vacuum. It basically is a receiver. And it takes whatever comes in. It's not particular. Okay? So we received all of this stuff from the world. And guess what it is now if you're a child of God? All of that good info you got from the world, guess what it's called now? Baggage. That's what it's called now. Baggage. So, we start with the soul, and that is who we are. That, I mean, that is how we interpret who we are. The soul, as I have said many times, is our place of vulnerability. It cannot, the soul cannot alter who we are. But it can affect how we see ourselves and others. Now, when you became a new creation in Christ, God changed the whole paradigm. Christian superstition that kind of changes, what we we humanize the whole thing. But this is the truth of how God made us. He literally put his spirit in the center of us. He joined us with a new spirit that he put in us. And it's at the center. And now, when I want wisdom, where is it coming from? From the center. From who I am. If I want peace, where is it coming from? If I want joy, where is it coming from? If I want hope, where is it coming from? Everything that I need to live the Christian life, everything that I need to fulfill what the commandments are in here, is met where? In Christ. Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's the truth of it. So... It's this this mind, will, and emotions that he's dealing with. And we cannot change the spirit. Here's the truth of it. What God created you to be in your your spirit, a new creation, is unchangeable. That's what's taken you into eternity. You became an eternal being when you received his life. And when you received his life, the two became one. So... That is your place of union at the center. We cannot change our spirit, nor do we want to. It's a place of union. It is the holy of holies of our being. And it has no need for cleansing. It's in union with Christ. Do you think it needs to be cleansed? It doesn't need to be cleansed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, But the person who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. If Jesus needs to be cleansed, you need to be cleansed. But guess what? He doesn't. The old human spirit is dead. It no longer lives. So I don't think cleaning it up is worth the trouble. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? So what, Paul, what is Paul writing about? He's writing about the soul. The soul is the mind, will, and emotion. The soul, as I've said many times, is the place of vulnerability. It cannot alter who we are. But it can affect how we see ourselves and others. The soul is a receiver. It will receive from within and without. When you became a Christian, you did not lose your vulnerability to the messages from without. In fact, there is a well-worn trail there. It's habitual for you to feed from what the world gives you. But Christ is saying, as he is saying to these Corinthians, stop eating from their table. I have food. I have drink. I have all that you need and nurture in me who is in you. Now, isn't that so much better than spending your time begging God to to throw something down your way? And how many of us is not oh, Lord, I need your peace. Oh, Lord, I need your protection. Oh, Lord, I need your provision. Lord, please come into this place. Please come into this place. Lord, we need your spirit here today. I've heard him pray that. The spirit of God is in you. You brought it with you. This place is just full of the spirit of God. We don't need to create his presence. And everything that you need is met. I will meet all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. That's what he says. They're all met. Well, here's what happens. The soul is a receiver. I can receive from within or without. That means I can receive both from the Spirit of God within, or the body, or the world, or the enemy.
0: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.